This is Patrick Henningsen, and you're listening to On the QT at 21wire.tv. Accessing confidential data. Patrick Henningsen, thank you for joining us for this episode of On the QT, episode 5, On the QT at 21wire.tv. And this first 30 minutes of this podcast will be free and free to listen, free to download. And the final hour after the break uh, will be for 21wire.tv members and subscribers only. So if you like the show and you want to support our work, uh, do subscribe to 21wire.tv. TV and become a member. There's a lot of great content, uh, not just audio, but also video, premium video content, uh, and a number of other special shows up there that we share uh, with our members here at 21wire.tv. And this has been quite a busy uh, first couple of days to this week, and uh, we'll just crack right into some of the main stories. Uh, we'll give you a little overview of the news in the first half hour, and then in the, in the final hour, uh, for the members' side, uh, we're going to break into some of the real details of the uh, so-called Russian hack of the American Democratic and Republican committees. This is what the media in the United States is claiming. Uh, this is what uh, CNN is running as a story. And uh, a number of other high-ranking politicians in Washington are pushing this, which looks like they're main, mainstreaming uh, conspiracy theories in the United States now. So uh, it's not possible that it was an inside job or not possible that uh, maybe uh, someone from another party hacked the other person's <laughs> server to leak some very embarrassing emails. Of course, that would never happen in the United States. Instead, uh, it seems like there's a sort of uh, concerted effort. Uh, the choir is singing, blame the Russians, blame Putin. Why would Russia do it? Well, because they're Russians and because Putin's an evil dictator, uh, end of discussion. So we'll break some of the details of that. It's quite an extraordinary story, and the media coverage is, uh, I've never seen anything like it. I mean, it's one of those stories where you think to yourself, there's no way that they'll try to go mainstream with this. It's so ridiculous. And at no point along the line has anyone offered any evidence, or has there ever been an official statement Um uh, from the White House, let's say, uh, to confirm this. And, of course, no evidence is ever presented. But the media run with it. And so when all the networks run with the same story, the end result is, sadly anyway, uh, that the majority uh, or quite a large portion of the American people will believe that this conspiracy theory, uh, which is posited by the mainstream, by the way, mainstream politicians, and also mainstream media, that they'll believe that this is somehow true or that it's probably true. And in America, that's that's quite an important concept, probably true. There is no such thing as, as true in America. There's probably not true and probably true. There is no true or false. It's uh, That's gone right out the, uh, the window uh, in recent years. Um, we're living in a very strange reality right now. Uh, so that's we're going to break that down. I've got some some details and also some clips 
which I'm going to analyze from the uh, ranking chairperson of the Department of Homeland Security, the person who basically injected this conspiracy theory uh, into the media. So it's some of you probably say it's ridiculous, but let me tell you, it might be ridiculous, but they're using this to leverage and to manipulate uh, the electorate in a very close presidential election right now in the United States. And in the past episode of On the QT, we, we discussed and we looked uh, at the uh, statements from Julian Assange uh, from WikiLeaks and uh, his role and WikiLeaks' role in the outcome of the U.S. elections and how important that is. Also, more importantly, we, we talked about the motivation behind it. Uh, why would Julian Assange have that much skin in the game, let's say, uh, with regards to a U.S. election, um, does he have a personal stake in it? Of course, we showed you last week on episode four uh, what is Julian Assange's personal stake uh, in the outcome of this U.S. election. I think when you look at it from that perspective, um, things tend to make a little more sense. But nonetheless, these are real communications. Uh, some of these that have been leaked, um, have been hacked or leaked. We don't know which, but they're real. And they brought up some very interesting issues. Um, let's just get started with uh, some of the things that came out. It's pretty incredible. The damning uh, information uh, that's been leaked. You've also got a tranche of emails uh, that were from Hillary Clinton's uh, missing emails, emails that were erased or uh, were in the FBI cache uh, with regards to Hillary Clinton's email server investigation that he uh, Hillary Clinton was on or staff were searching for uh, medication to treat Parkinson's and of course this feeds into the uh, major another major event that happened uh, on September 11th um, where Hillary Clinton fainted and had to be carried and uh, into her Scooby van and basically sent off to who knows where I guess her daughter's house and not the hospital um, quite a serious incident, and it's brought up uh, huge health questions which are being discussed uh, ad nauseum uh, right now in the media. And, of course, this has also uh, prompted, triggered the uh, more liberal left-wing media and sort of the Clinton-supporting uh, networks like MSNBC and CNN to basically distract and put all the focus on Donald Trump's health, um, even though it's Hillary Clinton who basically collapsed in public. Uh, which is quite a serious thing. Um, so we see clues to perhaps past medical conditions uh, in some of these email leaks and also an admission by Bill Clinton, her husband, on national TV that somehow, for some reason, Bill let slip that this has happened a few times before. So we have a sort of health issue with Hillary Clinton, which is quite worrisome uh, for anybody, uh, especially if you're running for president. Um, and the Clinton camp is calling this pneumonia, uh, but this doesn't seem to fit uh, what happened. So what more likely is the case uh, and what seems to be the case, I think any real doctor who's looking at this story might say that this is a cerebrovascular, a chronic uh, cerebrovascular condition. So, or a, neuro, a combination with a neurological issue. And this is quite a serious thing for anybody. And it's something that, uh, it's a serious health thing. Um, she's had issues of blood clots before passing out. 
uh, fainting. It's just really scary. Um, so you would be, if you're a Hillary Clinton uh, a family member or supporter, you, you, you should be really concerned uh, about this. If you're an American voter, you're obviously going to be should be concerned as well. If this is the president, and uh, she's got this sort of a health issue, um, is is this going to be a good thing? If she's uh, elected president, uh, that has to be looked at and considered uh, quite closely. So, but uh, as expected, the media is fobbing it off, and is the other tranche of emails um, that's come out. And this has uh, been given to a, a group called DC Leaks, uh, which has been known to leak various things. We don't know if it was hacked or leaked. Of course, the media is saying it was hacked by the Russians. What it was was incredibly damning commentary by Colin Powell, former U.S. Secretary of State, former General, Defense Secretary, head of the first Gulf War. Uh, so Colin Powell, who was Secretary of State under George Bush, he basically let his feelings be known in private emails about Hillary Clinton uh, and Donald Trump, and clearly he doesn't like either. But let's uh, let's look at what he said about uh, about Hillary Clinton in the first email. This this came out, I think, via the New York Post first. But basically, this is Colin Powell uh, doesn't have many good things um, to say about either candidate and uh so with regards to hillary clinton and by the way colin powell's a republican but he normally votes democrat Uh, he did vote for obama in the last two elections and he says of hillary clinton he said this is a 70 year old person uh so i would rather not have to vote for her although she's a friend i respect but she's a 70 year old person with a long track record unbridled ambition greedy not transformational, and with a husband that is still blanking, uh, that's censored out. You can imagine uh, it's a a lurid term to describe uh, casual, leisurely sexual activity by Bill Clinton. And so Colin Powell saying, with a husband that's blanking bimbos at home, uh, and this is according to the New York Post. So that's going to have some effect on the Clinton brand, obviously, uh, which they're trying to always rehabilitate constantly. Uh, so that's uh, interesting. So Colin Powell's just basically lashing back at Hillary Clinton for throwing him into the email uh, scandal, basically. Um, the Clinton staffers and the campaign basically said Colin Powell did the same thing when he was, when she was blamed for the email scandal, tried to throw Colin Powell under the bus and say he did the same thing and drag drag him into this conversation. Of course, he had a lot to say about that as well in these emails. Uh, so that's kind of interesting. Uh, but we'll, we'll get into the Russian hacking, the truth behind the Russian hacking in the second part of this podcast. Uh, and just to look at another couple of stories that, that came in this week that I think are are worth looking at. This is a feel-good story, and you don't often get these in the news. Um, whether it amounts to anything is another another matter. But in terms of a feel-good story, um, it's always good to to be able to sit back and for people to smile. And when you read this headline, you might smile. French court sets date for IMF chief Christina Lagarde's trial. 
Now that's going to make a lot of people smile and be happy and know that maybe there is some hope in the world uh, that a high-level banker might actually get convicted uh, one day, perhaps. This is always a, a hope. Um, we haven't really seen anything like this since the uh, savings and loan scandal in the 80s um, when Ivan Boski and Michael Milken and some of these characters um, managed to do a little bit of bird, although in a country club, of course, type prison setting, but nonetheless did some time. So to see Christina Lagarde um, uh, tried for some kind of a major fraud case uh, is a good thing, uh, many people would think. Uh, International Monetary Fund chief Christina Lagarde, who has a permanent, she's famous for her permatan uh, that you look at Christine Lagarde's permatan would definitely give Donald Trump a run for his money in that department. So she will stand trial for her role in a 400, 400 million euro payout uh, as French finance minister in 2008 to businessmen. This is a lot of money, by the way, 400 million. Mm, not bad. So she made that payout in 2008. This is at the height of the housing crash. To Bernard Tappy, uh, a French court said on Monday. So France's highest appeals court rejected her appeal by Lagarde uh, against the judge's order. Wow. In December. Uh, for her to stand trial at the uh, Court de Justice de République. Uh, a special court that tries ministers for crimes in office. So she will show up. What will happen to her? I don't know. But you have to also, a little footnote here. Uh, Dominique Strauss-Kahn, also French, also former head, uh, IMF head or World Bank head. Um, he also went down, but in a slightly different sort of trial setting to do with uh, philandering in a New York hotel room with a maid, um, forcing himself upon uh, one of the staff. But if you really look at that story and you, you look behind that, that seemed to me uh, like a sort of convenient obstacle that was placed uh, in the career of Mr. Strauss-Kahn, and uh, he also was targeted. Maybe Christine Lagarde's a force for good, but you know when you see the IMF and the damage that it does to so many countries, especially uh, so-called developing countries, or what used to be called the third world, but that's not politically correct anymore, so we can't say third world, we say the developing world. Uh, the damage that the IMF does, the predatory lending this the, the the restructuring forced restructuring uh programs that it forces on these countries to basically cut back on it, all social services and uh infrastructure spending in order to meet the interest repayments back to the uh fat cats up in europe and the united states at the international monetary fund wow they should call it the international debt fund should be called the idf but then they'd be competing with israel wouldn't they so they can't really call it the imf international debt fund um no I'm, I'm not sure what we would call that organization but lagarde could she do time uh it's doubtful uh people at that at that level generally don't uh and that's pretty high she's she's quite high up on the food chain in the worlds of high finance here's an interesting story and i thought i'd just run through this uh the united states has confirmed a, a groundbreaking uh, defense pact and agreement with the state of Israel. So United States is uh, looking at a 10-year deal 
uh, worth $38 billion uh, per year of military aid to the nation of Israel. So that averages out to about $3.8 billion a year. It's a slight raise from the past military aid packages that Israel's been receiving for many, many decades uh, from the United States. But see, in the past, uh, and the United States gives military aid to any country that it wants to control. So this first biggest, the top recipient in the world per annum is Israel. Uh, I believe number two is Egypt. Okay, so that's uh, having some control over both Israel and Egypt, two neighbors there, former warring factions no longer in the Middle East. Number three, uh, military aid, I would say, is Colombia. Colombia is the third largest recipient of U.S. military aid. What does that entail? It entails Uncle Sam shows up with a checkbook and basically gives them money, but it's a voucher, and they have to spend that money uh, with U.S. firms and defense contractors. That's pretty much for all aid, by the way, not just military aid. This is called tied aid, uh, as in tied to the United States. You must spend the money. So it's like I would go out, you'd be out on the street, you didn't have any money, I give you a gift certificate, which has Uncle Sam's picture on it, and you can buy every anything you want in my shop uh, for the amount redeemable on that gift certificate, but you have to buy it in my shop, otherwise it's not worth anything anywhere else. However, Israel has had special dispensation, as, as one might expect, uh, that it's the only country in the world uh, that doesn't have to spend all of its money uh, with shop Uncle Sam in the USA. It goes out and will buy its arms and weapons from anybody at once, from Russia, from Britain, from France, whoever. Okay, Now, that's been their prerogative, and of course, they, they drive a really hard bargain, as you can see. Um, they managed to uh, suck off $3.8 billion a year in welfare uh, from the United States to pay for all their expensive weaponry. So, but yes, this is the way Washington keeps its hand in affairs. Okay, uh, so Israel wants to uh, continue this. So the, they've done a deal with the U.S. and they basically said, "Well, you get we'll we'll spend the money in the USA now. We'll be like the rest of the countries, like Egypt and Colombia and all the other ones, Indonesia and whoever else you give military. We'll spend it with Uncle Sam, but you got to give us more in return." So they did. They raised the amount. And they guaranteed it for 10 years. So, you know, you'd think that I, I, I always, uh, I've always been told how savvy Israeli businessmen are and how good they are in business and making money. Um, but they can't be that good uh, if they're on the dole uh, with the United States. Um, so, again, this is a, a subsidized country, Israel. Um, so what would happen if it had to pay for all its own kit? That would be an interesting uh proposition uh so that's that's happening in israel someone uh sent us a, a message when we posted uh something about this story and uh they said well uh what about the the greater israel project and my reply was quite simple um what about it um the greater israel project is already done and dusted uh the great greater israel stretches from new york city uh, to Los Angeles, if if you didn't know already, so and this is this is a segue to an interesting article on Counterpunch um, website 
and uh, has Israel effectively colonized the United States? And uh, the author, uh, uh, Barudin Khan, actually makes an interesting... Uh, I, by the way, I don't like this website's view on Syria. They're very pro-regime change um, for some reason. So along the George Soros uh, talking point. But uh, generally on, on issues of Israel, they're, they're pretty... Um, pretty pro-Palestinian, pretty anti-Israeli um, occupation and colonialism. So they make a good argument here, is back in the old days when Britain colonized all these countries like India and so forth, uh, it, it then would commandeer the military of all these countries and have them fight for, the, for Britain uh, anywhere in the world, be deployed, the various brigades. So basically all these little countries, these colonial possessions are fighting uh, on behalf of uh, Great Britain. And if you look at the United States and its foreign policy, and uh, especially in the last 20 years, 25 years, um, basically everything that it's done, every position that it's taken has been uh, at the behest of, of Israel. So very much, so the United States is acting like a colonial uh, possession of Israel in a way. And it's a, it's a, it is, one could make the argument this is a case of the tail wagging the dog. Um, small country, but uh, Israel has nukes. Um, they've got nuclear weapons. Uh, they obviously don't want anyone else to have them in the region, but they've got them. And uh, they probably wield that stick uh, in the background uh, in negotiations on the red line, the red telephone. Um, I'm sure threats have been made uh, to the effect of what they call the mad dog uh, te- tactic uh, with regards to geopolitical diplomacy. Israel uh, always reserves the right to pull the mad dog card. Obviously, they've got the nukes. So why is the United States uh, controlling U.S. foreign policy in the Middle East? Um, Israel is controlling U.S. foreign policy in the Middle East. And the two countries do have similar goals. Yes, it's true. Uh in, in that respect, or at least the political elite do. I don't know about the people. Uh, in fact, I, I don't think the people do. Uh, but this is the problem. There's a lot of money involved in this relationship. Uh, the American uh, IPAC, um, Israeli uh, Political Action Committee, uh, has spread quite a lot of money around uh, every year, every election, congressmen, senators, presidents, even to state assemblies in some cases. So there's IPAC, Israeli lobby money everywhere. There's a number of these lobbies. And they like to keep control of the Christian Zionists in the United States. There's many of them. Uh, one of them is actually our, our, our man in Texas. Uh, his name is Michael McCall. And he is chairman of the Homeland Security Committee. He's the one that injected the um, rumor that Russia hacked the RNC uh, this week, uh, and so the, and that Russia is targeting U.S. election infrastructures and will hack uh, and the, the out and try to influence the outcome of the U.S. election. Okay, so this the, he's the one. And if you look at his home page, and we're here on his congressman's website, nice picture of Michael McCauley there. Um, I saw this guy on TV, and he's not he does, he's not very impressive uh, in terms of his grasp of anything, um, probably outside of Texas. Uh, but this is pretty much par for the course. 
uh, for most Republicans and Democrats in Washington, um, although Democrats seem to be slightly more in tune generally with foreign affairs, but that's not, I'm not giving too much slack there. Um, although John Kerry speaks multiple languages and can do deals and so forth, um, uh, they're not much better. In, fla- in fact, the Democrats are a little bit more devious um, than the Republicans. The Republicans are just completely clueless, generally. So they at least have the excuse of, uh, a genuine excuse of ignorance, whereas the Democrats are a little more devious. Uh, they use their left li- liberal cover uh, in order to execute uh, dirty wars and covert wars like we're seeing in Syria right now. So you, that's what John Kerry's doing right now. So here's Michael McCall, okay, and this is straight off his bio. First paragraph, as chairman of the Homeland Security Committee, my top priorities are to address the Al-Qaeda and Hezbollah terrorist threat, border security, cybersecurity, and fixing the Department of Homeland Security to ensure that it's capable of carrying out its core mission, protecting the homeland, the Vaterland, as uh, Hitler called it, Vaterland, homeland. This, by the way, in America, we didn't use this term before 2002. I'm just going to let people know before the year 2002, we did not use the term homeland. This was injected into the American lexicon by design, uh, by the political elite, uh, by the military establishment and the military industrial defense complex. Okay, This is designed to militarize the United States and to put it into a military mindset. It did not exist. It was never used before 2002. Okay, important to note. Okay, so when whenever people use the word homeland, um, it's intentional. It's a loaded term, and it's used to basically reframe um, how Americans view themselves and their place in the world. And a lot of this is based on complete hot air. Case in point, uh, he says his main priority is to protect the U.S. from Al-Qaeda-Hezbollah threat. Hezbollah d- doesn't threaten the United States. Um, and it, you'd be hard-pressed to find a Hezbollah uh, terrorist event um, any time in the last 20 years. Uh, it'd be very difficult, although they're called terrorists and they're attacked for uh, repelling or standing up to Israeli uh, occupations in places like Lebanon, for instance, uh, and they do tend to take the side of the Palestinians who are getting crushed uh, since the since the creation of the state of Israel, been getting crushed as a people. Uh, so Hezbollah, and they're based in South Lebanon, and so they they're not going to attack the United States. Uh, that's pretty certain. Their mission is pretty clear. It's to protect. Uh, Lebanon from the Israelis, uh, essentially, and also to repel um, their fighting ISIS in Syria. How about that? Hezbollah is fighting ISIS. They're fighting al-Nusra Front, al-Qaeda. So here we have this Texas congressman, head, head of the Homeland Security Committee, and he's got this nonsensical, ridiculous statement uh, on the bio on his website. And you have to then question, A, the intelligence of this person, or is he trying to be deceptive intentionally here by writing that down because the Israeli lobby who writes out his check told him to insert that on the website? It's very difficult to tell sometimes, but this is 
the way politics is in America, things are often difficult to decipher. So we can get in a little bit more into this gentleman and uh, the veracity of the so-called Russian hacks and basically will obliterate this conspiracy theory that's been floated by uh, the U.S. political establishment and the mainstream media in order to distract from the complete what seems to be the total meltdown of the uh, Hillary Clinton presidential campaign. Um, that's what it looks like anyway from a bird's eye view, but we might be wrong, of course. Uh, there's always that possibility. Uh, no one's perfect, but it sure looks like it. <laughs> the Russians are hacking the U.S. elections, really. That's interesting. So we're going to join you on the other side, hopefully, uh, on the second part of this podcast, which is for uh, subscribers and members at 21wide.tv. Uh, if you want to support us and you like what we do, you believe in what we do, um, do click on uh, the link available uh, to support us, to subscribe. Uh, we definitely need your support. Some great programs, by the way, that we're working on always and producing uh, for our members. So I'm Patrick Henningsen. I'm your host on the QT. We'll see you on the other side after this break. Tune in Sundays at noon Eastern Time or 9 a.m. Pacific Time for the Sunday Wire for three hours of action-packed talk radio on 21stCenturyWire.com and AlternateCurrentRadio.com. <laughs> 